Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. Hey, Ephesians chapter 5, open it up. Uh, The heading that we're going to be in today, we're going to be starting in verse 21. And this starts with uh, the heading of husbands and wives. And so a few months back, I was kind of outlining this series, maybe a month back, and just was like feeling that this would be a good conversation for Katie and I to have together. For us to unpack how not just the text shows, but how we live out our marriage. And to kind of just put ourselves on display for you guys, not because we have the perfect marriage. And if you walk away from this today going like, oh my gosh, I want their marriage. You've missed what we're trying to communicate today. You've missed it. We do not have a perfect marriage. We've married for almost 10 years this year, which is crazy. And uh, like we've learned some stuff. We've been through some good times. We've been through some hard times. We've had some tough conversations. We've been in some joyful conversations. And there's been a lot. And I'm excited for kind of this season where we get to put it on display for you all, hopefully to see the goodness and the greatness of our God, who's been in every ounce of it. And so, um, except the parts where I've messed up and where you've messed up. We've all messed up. Um, I, I know that even as we start to talk about this topic right now, we have every single story represented in front of us today. That there are some of you who've been married for a long time and you have found some of the most deep and profound moments of joy in your marriage. I also know that, that there are some of you who have received some of the, the, like the wounding you never thought was possible and the hurts you never thought could ever happen at the hands of a marriage. I know that. I know, I know it's every single end of the spectrum. I know some of you have been married for 40 years. Some of you have been married for less than a year. Some of y'all are single and just want to get married. Amen. Any young, any young people in here right now? Okay, here we go. I set that up earlier and like nobody responded. I was a little disappointed in a couple people that won't go named. Caden. Um, I know we're all over the board. I know we all, I think that God has something for each of us in this message today. Husbands, wives, Maybe you're single looking to get married. Maybe you're single and you never plan on being married again. I think there's, there, there is something, if you will listen for you today, which I hope we all do as a ground rule, we're listening for us. No yeah buts and no elbows, all right? Keep that to yourself. Let's get through this today and let's listen for ourselves. But let's also know that even if you never really plan on being married, even if marriage is not going to be for you, you have friends that are married. And even for you married people, you have friends that are married. You, have, you might learn something. You might glean a principle today for how God has designed and intended for marriage to look, how we believe he has set this up, that you could then minister to and help your married friends that are struggling. Okay? So let's listen for us. Uh, we're all over the board. And let's just dive in and kind of like give ourselves over to what Jesus has to say to us today. Amen? Amen. Katie is going to read for us today. Okay. Um, So starting at verse 21 from Ephesians 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, 
Sorry, that scrolled to the bottom there. Where did that go? In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Should we pray? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we are going to need you in this text today. I pray that you'd meet us where we are at. I love that even though every story is present in the room, you are also present in every heart in this room. So I pray that you would give us and deliver to us exactly what we need and that you would minister to our souls today, Jesus. We lay this message, we lay ourselves at your feet and ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to say what I know all of you are thinking, and that is marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. <laughs> Just kidding. But um, yeah, marriage is the topic for this morning, and it's a huge topic. There is no way that we could possibly cover um, all that there is to cover. But um, I do believe that in this verse, um, in the 35 minutes that we have, God can do something in our marriage, and he can start uh, just something good and something new. And so um, we want to unpack women's call in marriage. We want to unpack the man's call in marriage. And then we also want to look at what God's primary hope is for a biblical marriage. So um, in our house, we say ladies first. And so we're going to start with that. And that's what's in the text here. So um, looking at verse 22, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body for which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So here we go. You ready, women? <laughs> The first thing we notice in this text is what? Submit. Yes, that is a hard word. And especially in today's culture where we automatically uh, um, attribute authority and leadership to superiority, that's a, that's a tough uh, word for us. And so before you get your feathers in a ruffle, ruffled about that. Let's take some uh, time to really look at what that means, what it does and does not look like, and hopefully it won't be quite as bad as you might think. So this is this text specifically is talking about wives and husbands. So as a whole, we're not talking about men and women. Women are not subject to men as a whole. Wives, you are subject to your one husband. That's what we see here in that text. And so what this passage is asking for is structure in a family and in a home. What God is showing us is there is a design for marriage to work for our joy, for our benefit. So in a culture that um, looks at all, you know, different uh, definitions of marriage and different homes can look different. 
we really want to look at what the Bible says that marriage is. And so we're going to actually take a look at the very first marriage, and that's in Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you will surely die. Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was... You don't need, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll just do that. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no, there was not found a helper fit to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So this was the first marriage. This is what God intended marriage to look like. One of the first things that we see is that it was not good for man to be alone. So as women, we were actually the first answer to the first problem here um, on earth. <laughs> so before we jump to the conclusion that women are of lesser value, uh, maybe from that text in Ephesians, we can see the greater narrative in scripture that God has so much value. And um, then we also see that God calls a woman, a suitable helper. And this is not a make me a sandwich kind of helper, okay? <laughs> this is, she, he can't do everything that I have called him to, everything that I want him to experience, he can't do without a co-laborer, without a partner and a companion. So when we look at God's original intent for marriage and, and what it can look like, it's better to understand what Paul is saying in Ephesians. He cannot be communicating lesser value or subordination to the woman. He's communicating order and structure for the good of the marriage and the family. I think the most daunting task for me this morning is to try and communicate the submission word in all of its value and beauty to maybe a woman that has had it used against her that maybe she's been used and abused. Maybe um, she's been told that she's less than. Maybe she believes that she is better seen than heard. That is not the heart of God. And so as we continue to dive in, let's open up um, just any hurts that you might have in the past um, and allow God to change our view on it. 
One is not inferior to the other, but both have been given the task to cultivate the earth and subdue it together. So what does this look like practically? It looks like a wife willingly and cheerfully trusting that her man can lead her family. John Piper, in a Desiring God article, um, says one way to tell who is leading the family is who says let's more often. So who takes that initiative? Hey, let's spend some time looking at our finances and make sure that we are stewarding them the way that God wants us to. Hey, let's work a little harder on uh, praying with our kids more frequently. And it's not that he then has to just execute all of those things, but he's taken that initiative, if it's the husband, to lead the wife and the family down that path that God has revealed to him. And um, so you should look up that article if you want more practical uh, views on that. But men, don't um, abdicate yourself from this leadership. I believe that there's a blessing in getting your hands dirty, you know, doing the nitty gritty of um, what God has called you to do. Just because your wife is really great at um, the finances and she can do that part, uh, do that. But don't let her do everything because you're gone at work or... um, you just think she's really good at it, there is blessing in you doing some of those things also. If you abdicate your leadership, you and your family will miss out on that blessing. Um, There, it will get messy though. Um, Just like we were singing, God, you're never going to let me down. That's not the case for a spouse, right? We are human. We will let each other down let each others down. And um, in those moments of failure, in those moments of error, let's be wives that are encouraging and trusting and respecting. Hear me that in the mouth of a woman, encouragement and trust, there is power for the heart of the man. But unfortunately, the opposite is true, that um, emasculating, belittling words in the mouth of a woman can do immeasurable damage to the heart of a man. Let's be wives that know the strengths of of our husband and build him up and encourage him. If you have a husband that you feel like is disengaged and is lazy and abdicating himself, I think it's worth asking, is he that way because I've belittled him and emasculated him and torn him down every time he hasn't done something perfectly? Proverbs 27, 15 says, a quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Proverbs 21, 19 says, it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and angry woman. So the, the point of the story at this moment is women don't waterboard your husband. Because <laughs> that, like, it's a legit actual form of torture. Like, don't, don't 
I think of how strong that language is, where it's like, it is better for you to go live in a desert. And the implication is there, like, to just go out there and die than it is to live with a quarrelsome woman. And so I think that um, it's helpful, even as we're talking about the woman's primary role in marriage, I think it, it helps us, and it goes a long way, for us men to see how can I help her in that role. And so the first thing that I want you to know is that her submission to me can only go as far as my submission is to Christ. And so that as a leader of my household, I'm giving myself wholeheartedly to Christ. And in that, I'm creating an environment where she wants to follow me. Right. And, and um, like Katie just unpacked, I think it's so beautiful to go back to the original picture that she is not my servant. She is not your servant. She was existed and gifted and equipped to be a co-laborer with me for the good and glory of God and for the good and glory of our marriage and for the good and glory of our children, our family that we would create. And so like I don't get to ask her and I don't ask her to submit. Like I don't use that word. I don't ask that. I don't invite that. I don't say, hey, you need to submit to me. Husbands, let me just like spare you the shoe that should get thrown at your head if you're going to say that to your wife. Like you don't get to say that to your wife. Instead, like I think far too often guys will get us, get ourselves in this situation where we're asking the question constantly, like why won't she submit to me? When I think the far better question is, is am I living my life in a way that's worthy of being followed? Is that, is that how I'm carrying myself? And put the onus back on me then to say, okay, what's, what's going on? How can I help in this endeavor? Because it's hard. That's a hard, strong word there to be submissive. And, and the, uh, the thing that I would love to just say to single men in the room, as you're looking for a wife, I think we have like, I think we have like some really simple, easy boxes that you check. Maybe there's one. All right, you're like, is girl pretty? Girl of Jesus? I'm getting married, right? Like that's kind of how your brain goes. I would love for you to add one box that says, how does she use her words when she's with people? Does she use her words for the building up of the people around her? Does she see flaws in people, yet she longs to seek things and build them up? Because that's something that I want to partner with in the long term. I don't want to partner with somebody who's going to constantly be belittling and cutting themselves down or cutting other people down. Um, I think that as much as you know, you're kind of probably thinking right now, like, oh, Austin gave Katie the, the thing to say that would be hard to women. And now he's going to say the things that's hard to men. Uh, really, like that may have been easier, but writing the marriage together or writing the, 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 the message together on marriage was probably the most difficult option that we could have chose this morning. So um, I'm going to now shift gears and talk about the man's role. Because as much as women, you may be like, oh my gosh, my call is to submit. Well, men, your call is to die, to die. So <laughs> Let me show it to you in the text. It starts off verse 25 now. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I think that we talked about this last week, but English has really just made this garbage time usage of words, right? And the, and the burden is on the hearer to understand what Paul means when he says love, because love means like a thousand different things in our culture today. And they are, we don't use them all the same way. And so I think it's helpful to look in the Greek and to consider what word he's using here to be specific. There's four primary words used in the Greek language to communicate this idea of love. And three of them are relevant to today's conversation. The first one is eros. Eros is where we get the word erotic. It's a love that seeks to please me. It's a very selfishly focused love. What do I get out of this? What of my uh, pleasure, of my desire, of my cravings does this satisfy? I love the things that satisfy me. That's Eros speaking. 
right? There's also phileo. Phileo is this like brotherly love, this affection, this friendship that we would have with one another. It's the kind of things that you laugh about. It's the kind of things that you have fun together. This, there's this draw to one another that you're, you're friends also. And then finally, the last word is this word uh, agape. And agape is a love that, that only seeks to, to pour out in consideration, in demonstration of love towards another And so you kind of have three moving planes of love here in the Greek language where you have an eros that's very much pointing at me. You have phileo, this love that is now we're pointing at one another. It's mutual between one another. But then you have agape that starts with me, but it points elsewhere. It's a selfless love. Men, if you were just to guess real quick in this moment, like which word do you think Paul is using when he's talking about love here? Maybe it's because six of you have your masks on right now, but what is like, what's, what was that again? It's agape. It's loving your wife to the point where you are considering her needs and her, you are considering her over your own self. That you would be emptying yourself for her, that you'd be giving up your life for her. Um, I think that like, as we get so confused about what love is, we want to just kind of reduce love to this sort of cheap uh, feeling that I'm in love today and I'm not in love the next day. Agape love is this love that's not based or rooted on feeling. It's not based and rooted in emotion. It's based and rooted in this action that I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to pour myself out for another. Now, it's important that Paul uses the word agape because that, like, let's be real. That's the hardest one for humans to engage in to love somebody sacrificially. That's the most difficult one. And I would argue that he doesn't use phileo, doesn't use eros because those two are also just implied. So I want to say, I want to take a moment and say like, I think that both of those other kinds of love are also important in your marriage. Like you should have a bond with your your spouse. You should be seeking out to build up the friendship that exists between the two of you. Like this is my best friend right here as much as she is my wife. Like we have a fun time together. We hang out a lot together. And I, I realize in prepping this message, it's always awesome that the message like convicts you first before you ever get to use it to convict anybody else. But I was just like, man, you know what? I haven't been stewarding. I haven't been cultivating that like that just friendship between the two of us. Like we're in a season where, where life is busy. We don't have as many date nights on the calendar because it's hard to get babysitting and get like, then go pay money at a restaurant also. And, and, but, and this, is a, this is a quality time girl through and through right here. Like you can tell her how much you love her all day till you're blue in the face. But if you don't spend some time with her, she's never gonna embrace and understand how much you love her. And so that like 20 minutes in the morning when we get to just sit there and drink coffee together, that's, that's it for her. That is like, if she gets that, the rest of her day is going to be good. And I haven't been cultivating that time. I haven't been getting up early enough to make as much of a priority at that time. Men, I like, I hope you, and women too, I hope you're prioritizing the friendship that you could have with your spouse. I think it's also important that you have a passion with your spouse. Come on, somebody. I think that like, um, so Katie and I, we go to bed at the same time, right? Guys, let me just tell you, like, let me see if this, hits it all with you guys, okay? We go to bed at the same time, but that does not mean we get in bed at the same time. All right, so, so we go to bed, she goes into the bathroom, I get into bed, and then like an hour goes by, and I don't know what's going on in there. Like, I, I don't know what's happening. She's probably flossing her teeth because she's a dental hygienist. She's probably taking good care of her oral hygiene. Uh, but I don't, I don't really know. Like, I just know, like, I don't really want to know, and I'm a little scared to know, if I could be honest with y'all, okay? <laughs> she's in there. I could be like inches away from comatose levels of sleep. And I can catch a glimpse of her before she puts her pajamas on. And there's part of me that just goes, yeah, 
Woo! Men in the room. Come on, there should be something about you that comes alive when you just enjoy and celebrate the good gift that God has given to you. Amen? And here's, here's the reality. This is present in every marriage, at least at the beginning. Okay, so like, you know the 27 dresses theory where it's like you, you focus on the groom as soon as when you're at a wedding ceremony, you look at the groom, you don't look at the bride. Like I've totally given myself to that where I'm just like, yeah, like I don't care, like A line, neckline, dress, like I don't know what's happening with the ruching or with the, with the, the lace or, you know, what the color of the dress, like I, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not looking at the bride. I love that moment in a wedding ceremony when the bride first enters the room and I'm looking at the groom and I'm looking at that bubbly, smiling, cheeseburger, idiot of a looking dude, right? As he's just elated at the look of his bride. You know what I'm saying? And so, I think that we're often taught that passion fades over time. I just, I wonder how much passion doesn't so much as fade as it does just, it moves. If it's not a fading passion, but if it's a moving passion. And I would just say, if you have, if you has, have as a man or as a husband, given yourself to another person, uh, either you're giving your attention, you're giving your passion, you're giving your affection, uh, either virtually or in real life, if you are making a pattern of that in your life, your passion will not fade. It will fade for your wife, but it will just be moved in your heart. And I think that we have to prioritize and try diligently to be students of our spouses, to ignite, to have that passion in between one, of, one another, that, that we, it, might take some, it might take some open repentance. It's for sure gonna take a repentant heart. It might take some just honest, brutally transparent conversation where you get some things out on the table and you look to heal and you look to restore. But men, like women, like all of us, we need to be considering that phileo and eros love are both important. We should be doing things in our life that cultivate and that bring those things out of us. But all of that said is that if you have those two and you're doing those two things really well and you have great friends with your wife and, and you are you're passionate about each other. If you men are unable to sacrificially love your spouse, then they will not matter as much. It will not last. It's not God's design for marriage. God's design for marriage is to put a man that is willing to go, I would do anything for you. I would give up everything for you. And what's my reference for that? It's Jesus Christ giving up everything for me. So, so until you are able to receive the reality that Jesus Christ has poured himself out for you, that even though he, he did not deserve the punishment on the cross, but even though he didn't need, like he didn't, he didn't um, deserve that at all. There was nothing that he did wrongly. He still poured himself out, offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross. And, and if you can't embrace what that means for you personally, then you will never be able to deal with your wife in her hot mess as well as you could until you understand how Jesus has dealt with you and yours. And so maybe you're married to the quarrelsome wife and she's using her words constantly against you. She's constantly belittling, constantly emasculating. My, my challenge to you would be to continually be reminded of the fact that this is how Christ has acted towards you. And, and, and men in the room, if you are not like young men in the room who aren't married yet, if you are not yet able of giving your love to something like other than yourself yet, if you haven't found that capacity to love something else more than you love yourself, then you're not ready for marriage. Married men, can I get an amen from that? 
like you're, you're just not ready. And, and women, what I would be looking for in a future husband, if I were you, is I would be looking for a guy who, who publicly and privately is capable of loving something else more than himself. Because it's going to be pivotal in your marriage. And you have to be careful because um, uh, selfless love can often be done for selfish reasons. So it looks, self, it looks selfless publicly, but really it's done for selfish reasons. Um, yeah, honey, I cleaned the whole house today where you work. I knew it was going to be just like a really hard day for you. So I thought I'd just clean everything. I got us a nice bottle of wine to have with dinner because I just know it's been, I know it's all about you. It's just been so stressful for you. Dudes, that's Eros talking. That's not agape love. You know what I'm saying? That, that's not, you are doing, sometimes we can be doing things that we are convinced are selfless, but really what we're trying to do is we're trying to make the woman's role about satisfying my needs rather than me emptying myself for her. And so Christ gave himself up for the church. He, uh, the picture that I love to think of here is at the last supper when Jesus, who is God, steps for a moment into this space of a servant, even though he's a king and he washes the disciples' feet. And he says, He didn't say it here, but it reflects what he said so beautifully that the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. I think that so beautifully captures our role as husbands in a marriage that at the end of the day, what I long to see is my wife looking like a well-watered vine, that she would be bearing fruit in every season, that I would be willing to lay out my, my Saturdays with the boys, I'd be willing to forget, forego my, my video game hobby, my, my, my happy hour hobby, whatever it is that you do, but I'd be willing to just lay those things aside to say, no, what do you need? What space can I step in where you're tired? What space can I step into where I can serve you, where I can do something because I love you? And that love is not some cheap, flippant feeling, but it's this immovable, I've been loved by Christ. And so now I'm going to give myself up for you. Amen. And so this is the man's role in marriage. We looked at the woman's role in marriage, but ultimately the hope is that this would point us to something that's bigger than just ourselves. And so we're going to look at now God's ultimate hope, his ultimate plan for marriage. So the point, the hope for a biblical marriage finds itself with two imperfect people coming together in marriage, committing themselves to one another in submission and in service in a way that actually takes the focus off that specific relationship and actually points to the profound mystery of the gospel, to a God who loves his bride and his church and that he empties himself for her. God's hope for your marriage goes beyond making sandwiches, meeting physical needs, um, or even just the you do you, I'm going to do me kind of attitude. God's design for this is to provide opportunity for growth that incites flourishing with one another, that we would become co-laborers for the kingdom in service to him together. So in a culture that's pretty broken and fractured in this way, the reality of a willing, cheerful wife to submit to her husband and a husband that is willing to lay down his life in service to her provides an amazing opportunity to give an answer to the hope that we have in Jesus. Yeah, and I think the the thing that I hope to maybe captivate your attention to today also is just that um, I think everyone's marriage is on a trajectory, 
Like we're all heading somewhere in our marriage. And so I want to just spend the last couple moments here and I want to pray uh, that you would actually consider um, taking a moment to just be honest and to be real about like, I bet there was something as we read through here, something as we talked about it, that you know where you're off. And I think so often it's like, how many of us in the room, we have mistakes that we're working on and we can all throw our hand right up. But then those conversations with your spouse, it becomes incredibly, incredibly more difficult to just admit faults in your heart, faults that you have in your life, right? But I think that we have to continue to pursue making healthy marriages in church because as we make healthy marriages, we create healthy families and healthy families make a healthy community. And as our, as our community here gets healthy, we actually have the chance to create a healthy culture Rather than the church be so like constantly critical of the culture that we see outside of these walls, which I'm not saying is, is a wrong thing. I just think a better thing would be to create the culture that we want to see and let the world taste and see that the Lord has been good to us as well. And so like, I just hope that you can find a moment, maybe today, maybe on the car ride home, maybe with your wife, it, like some of you, you can see maybe where your trajectory for your marriage is going. And you can see where it's going to end up in a few years. You can see where it's going to end up in 10 years. And, and I think you, right now you have a moment to kind of just get some things out and to be honest about some stuff that could actually change the trajectory of where you're heading in your marriage. And so I would encourage you to be honest and open with your spouse, to have just a good conversation. I love that um, Jesus was the initiator in our reconciliation. So men, as we love our wives, we should be initiating that reconciliation in our marriage. And so... I just think that like there are conversations that could be had after this in your marriage that, that could maybe not fix everything in a moment, but you could set things off on a different course as you apply these principles, these foundations to your marriage. And so um, be honest, get it out there on the table, get yourself around some friends that have marriages that you hope to have someday. Like get yourself in a group where that you're like, that's the marriage I want to have someday. I'm going to get myself around people like that. I'm just going to pick their brain. And, and, and if you need professional help, then get professional help. I, we would love to connect you with some wonderful godly counselors that we would absolutely recommend if you need professional help. But other than that, just continue to cry out to Jesus because as we can reflect and look more at what he's done for us, only then will we, will we be able to operate then healthfully in this relationship. Amen. So would you stand? I'd love to just pray for you as we close today. Jesus, none of this is going to be possible without you and your Holy Spirit moving in us. And so I pray for gentle but loving and real conviction to lay on our hearts where we need it today from you. We just invite it, Jesus. Help us to be honest and authentic, to get it out on the table, to find the spots where we're weak, where we need help. And that we would, like Katie said, we would be imperfect people living out our lives in a way that ultimately brings glory and fame to your name, Jesus, in this world that we find ourselves in. God, I pray for healing for marriages today. I believe that even if people are ready to give up throwing the towel, I pray that actually you would, you would come in and you'd throw them a lifeline right now in this moment and that things would change. I pray for healing. We pray for hope. I pray for your restoration of all things, including our relationships, Jesus. For those that aren't going to be married, God, continue to be their comforter. Continue to uh, show them that they have purpose that is not dependent on a spouse. You have a purpose. You have a plan for them to fulfill in their life right now. Jesus, we love you. We're focused on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.